Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast. I hope you're all well this week. I've got a treat for you this week. I am talking to the absolutely gorgeous Emily Rushton. Emily is the wellbeing director at large at Psychology's magazine. And if you don't know that magazine, I strongly encourage you to check it out. It's brilliant. She's also the creative director of conscious consultancy called Leaf. She is a trained holistic facial therapist and she's studying for her diploma in Vedic healing. But she's been living in accordance with Ayurveda. And I'm sure you've heard of that. If you haven't, we get into it in the podcast but she's been living that way for about 10 years. So she really walks the talk. She lives an incredibly holistic and grounded life. And we talk about that and how she manages to do that alongside all that she does and being a mum to two girls. This one is very deep, as most of the podcasts are. We really get into working motherhood. Emily went back to work when her little girl was very young. And we talk about that, and she's very open and honest about that. It's beautiful, that section of the podcast. I said, oh, I really want this job, but I, I've also just become a mother, and I don't even know what that means yet. I'm still in the fog and the fear part of it. And that was the journey. We also talk about slowing down, being present, how she manages that switch between being a working mum and a really present, grounded mum. I always aim to do some deep breathing or some meditation or a few kind of asanas and yoga stretches before the children walk through the door. We talk about Ayurveda, which if you haven't looked into it, is just absolutely fascinating. So we get into that. I discovered it before I got pregnant with Mia and um, and really started to integrate it in my life and then followed it, Ayurvedic protocol and sort of you know, lifestyle advice when I was pregnant with her all through my pregnancy. As well as lots and lots and lots of other wonderful conversations and detours that we take along the way. So I really hope you enjoy it. And for the episode, just a thank you from me. The podcast is continuing to grow at a really, really exciting rate. We're currently number two in the charts. So thank you to you listening. Thank you for your support. And if you feel moved to, then please do leave a review because I'm told by the powers that know these things that that's really, really important for us to continue to reach loads of other mums that might need to hear this content. So thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Thank you for supporting Motherkind. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. So, Emily, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. I'm so excited to be chatting with you this morning. Thank you so much. I'm very aware of how many times we had to reschedule this. There's a lot to be said for why, and I think we'll probably get on to that later. But thank you so much for your patience and for, you know, for being so gracious um, and inviting me here today. Oh, of course. So people know, Emily, I think when I started the podcast, because I've been like, obsessed with psychologies for many 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 years and I learned you're a mum I was like oh maybe she'd come on my podcast you know and I don't think I'd even started it when I messaged you and then I think you know, we've had one it's taken yeah exactly but I think it's such a good lesson isn't it for me of just trusting of the timing of things and I think you know had I interviewed you as one of my first perhaps our conversation wouldn't have been as rich as it's going to be because I've learned so much about my style and you know what my listeners like to hear about so I just think it's all divine timing and we're here now (laughs) absolutely absolutely and I I really do trust in that feeling actually in that sense and as a mum as well you know if you're a working mother and you have these commitments and they feel like they're sort of ironclad, you know, that they're totally inflexible, immovable, intractable, and you just essentially feel that sometimes you're just this machine that has to, you know, always fulfill these obligations you know you have to meet your deadlines you have to make that call you're on that conference call you're on that plane you're in that meeting and you know the last few years for me have really been a breaking down of that very flawed and weighty belief system and actually I wrote about it recently in psychology just sometimes we just 
have to cancel stuff because we're human and we're fallible and we have our children who need us and things change second by second, let alone day by day. And yet we fill our diaries with things months in advance. And it's a bit of a bizarre thing to do, really. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons why our family have never, ever booked a holiday in advance. I look at families who book their holidays, you know, sort of the year before, and I think, oh, I wish, I wish we could be that sort of family. We could plan that and know that we would be doing these things, but we just don't at all and never have. But yeah, uh, things kept coming up and it was family stuff. There was some poorliness. There was a bit of travel and we just, we never quite managed to do it, did we? But we're doing it now and, and it definitely feels like the right day, actually. I, I woke up very excited to talk to you and I've been listening to the podcasts for the last few weeks and yeah, just absolutely love what you're doing. But there's so much wisdom and richness that's being shared and uh, and I'm really honoured to be a part of it. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you very much. I mean, coming from you, that means the absolute world to me because I stopped reading fashion magazines about six or seven years ago. And that's when I got pretty obsessed with psychologies and my subscription <laughs> arriving. And um, so I feel like in a strange way, I know you far better than I actually do in real life, because of course, <laughs> I've been reading everything that you've written for years and years and years. So can you then just... You know me really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there isn't really a filter, actually. When I took the job at psychologies, it was about eight years ago, and it was a beauty director job you know that was what I had been doing I'd been freelancing for lots of different women's magazines for a very long time and then I turned 30 I was 29 and I got pregnant with our first daughter and I thought okay this is really good it was the right time we were very lucky and it was what we wanted and we were just over the moon but I had absolutely reached the end of that path writing for women's magazines, actually, writing for some very big commercial titles. And I was I was really disillusioned by everything. And I was writing about things that didn't chime with my own values, my own belief system. I've always lived uh, very holistically and sort of using natural products and growing our vegetables and you know just making very conscious choices about the things that I sort of invite into our home and into our lives yet I was you know a very successful editor writing about really mass mainstream things and products and did it for much longer than I should have done it and got to a point where I just didn't want to do it anymore so I quit I left I was offered a, a, quite a big job at a magazine and I turned it down, went home and just said to my husband, baby, I quit. I can't do this anymore. I don't want to write about this stuff anymore. I don't want to write about, you know, the bikini diet and the cellulite and the new lipstick and the eye cream and that takes 10 years off you and all this absolute rubbish, which I, <laughs> you know, I was earning money and I was paying a mortgage and I was young and I was on the property ladder and it was all those things of, I need a job and how lucky am I to be paid to be, you know, a writer, to work for magazines. But I did it for sort of eight, nine years and was just so heavy with disillusionment and was just so disheartened by it all because it just, you know, I've never been someone who believed those things. I would sort of write about it and then just feel a little bit sick afterwards most of the time, which was just terrible, terrible mm. thing to admit. And of course, you know, there was fun and it's nice to be a bit frivolous at times and to not take everything too seriously, but I'm inherently quite a serious person. So I quit and I just said, okay, what do I do now? Where do I go from here? How do I use my writing? Which is the skill I think is the thing I probably need to use and, and am best equipped to do. How do I use it? And then got pregnant suddenly. And that, that just sort of changed everything really so we had Mia our eldest daughter and it was a couple of weeks later I got an email from the then editor of psychologies a really lovely woman called Louise Chan who I will always adore asking if I wanted to come in an interview for this job at psychologies and I said I would absolutely love to because it just felt like I did not want to do commercial stuff anymore I did not want to write about mainstream things anymore I did not want to write about 
aesthetic-led things, you know, the physical. I wanted very much for my writing to reflect what my belief systems are. And I knew psychologies was the place to do that. Mm. But I said, there's just one, there's just one small problem, small in the literal sense, because Mia was so tiny as a baby, bless her. I've just had a baby. And she said, oh, okay. What do you mean by just? I said, well, she's three weeks old today. (laughs) And Louise sent me this message. And I remember because I'd sent her some ideas for the magazine and, you know, why I was even on on email at that time, God only knows. And and I have, this is something I'm sure we'll talk about as this progresses, because I've done, had to do a huge amount of soul searching and work on this. But Mm. she emailed back and said, if you have actually had a baby and you've sent me these ideas and these thoughts and these emails and you are this compass mentis and this able and just making such sense and she's just I think she was just shocked but also kind of perhaps a tiny bit impressed then I think you're definitely the right person for this job and I said oh god really um I really want this job I do, but I, I've also just become a mother and I don't even know what that means yet. I'm still in the fog and the fear part of it. And that was a journey, really, between the two of us. She waited for me and I knew I was leaving my child early to go and do this job. But it came about really because my husband had been struggling for a while bless him. He was working as a support worker with people with really quite profound learning disabilities. And um, he absolutely loves his work. He's a very, very loving, caring man. But it was starting to take over because he was working nights. And he was then very quickly promoted and started kind of managing the service. And it was incredibly pressurised and just very difficult for him, really. And Actually, you know, we went through a period of of him suffering really quite profound depression and anxiety. Mm. And then our baby kind of arrived into the world as the very happiest moment of our life. You know, it felt like a golden time, like a golden light had just pierced our existence, really. And it just changed everything for him, which was remarkable. I look back on it and I can just see how it happened so quickly and he had no experience with children he'd never held a baby before. wow he held baby. so yes. how old was Mia when you accepted that job and you went started your job on psychologies she was 13 weeks old wow. she was 13 weeks old and I started working Monday to Thursday were you thing. living in London then because I want to talk about the move and everything I was okay I, we were living in London we were living in a little flat in Greenwich and Paul quit his job the same day that I accepted the job and he became a full-time utterly dedicated natural just hugely loving and sort of committed parent. Um, wow. and I never yeah. there's never been any disparity or any distinction in us as parents you know it's funny because you know my friends laugh and say you know he's the mother but they're just roles we've created I suppose and he's you know he's given everything he has to our children in a way that's been so selfless and probably relatively rare I suppose we're led to believe it's rare for men to do that but they do and I've seen it over and over again and that was the process really so in my mind our baby was as loved as she could possibly be she was with her daddy and Mm. I took a role that I believed in but also that needed to be taken because I needed to support our family and my husband was also recovering very quickly there was something about fatherhood that suited him very well and brought him out of himself and lifted him up actually which I think I don't know it was almost like something very cathartic and and salving and I don't think we should place those responsibilities on our children by any means they're not there to fix us but they're there to teach us certainly and I think that happened so Yes, my introduction to motherhood was a bit bizarre. It was a bit stop and start. It was very happy and vital pregnancy and a very a natural, good, quick birth, which I was incredibly blessed to experience. But then very quickly afterwards, just a feeling of, of panic, actually, struggling to kind of get the breastfeeding thing right, really knocked sideways by not sleeping. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. Still trying to juggle 
freelance commissions and work so that money was coming into the house because as with so many of these hugely important jobs in our society they're very poorly paid so my husband bless him who was doing this incredible support work was earning very little money doing it so still lots of responsibilities and lots of worry and yeah it was you know this was eight years ago now and I look back and I know how certain I felt at the time that my decision was the right one you know, I had really had no doubt in my mind, but I also now think back on what that mind was and how that mind was functioning and how perhaps I'm not sure I would have done it the same way if I were to be given a second chance. I was going to ask you that. Would you do it again? I think because I've now got two daughters, so I have Mia, who's seven and a half, and Celie, who's four and a half, motherhood a second time round could not have been more different and I think that was a very very conscious thing a very conscious need to really heal up those doubts that I'd carried with me for so long did I run away from her did I have a choice yeah did I need to take that job at that time could I perhaps have just not a move we could have stayed with our parents for a couple of years we could have just raised our babies without the financial pressure around us you know all of these questions that come up and I get very emotional when I talk about it Mm. um always even now the podcast you did with Marianne Williamson, which I listened to only recently, she talked about that very honestly. And I felt very triggered by it, actually. I felt very, very emotional about it when I heard her talk about the fact that you shouldn't even think about leaving your child for the first four or five years. And why would you do that? Why would you have a child and then leave them? They need you. You're everything to them. You know, it's the most formative period of their lives. And and there's no mending of that, you know, and I sort of listened to it and started to feel triggered and unsettled and upset. But also, because I've done quite a lot of work on making peace with that decision that I made at that time, I could absolutely see the truth in it. Because I really genuinely believe that we do make the best decisions we can at the time with yeah. the information that we have, exactly. you know, in that yeah. moment. We don't always have this broad spectrum perspective, you know. We can be struggling, we can be exhausted, we can be anxious. And, you know, I was all of the above, really. And a job came up which met all of my values, which was a great opportunity, which was a wonderful title, which was right for me in all the right ways, but also not at the best time. But I still had to make that decision. So I made it and I... I am glad that I made it, but I also, and have many times since, wished that I could just go back to that that newborn baby and just be with her for quite a bit longer and not give myself any other great challenge. It's so, it's <laughs> um, so right what you say, though, isn't it, about, you know, that we make the decisions. We are always doing the best we can. And actually, what's interesting is, many people have found that episode really triggering and I've actually to be really honest and I haven't told anyone this I've grappled with whether I should take it down because so many people have said you know it made me feel incredibly guilty it made me feel incredibly triggered but yet I have had other people say you know actually it spoke to a part of me that I was denying or I you know it's interesting the different the different responses to it and when Mary and I had finished interviewing, I, you know, I sort of sat with her and I said, you know, I'm working, I'm consulting and I've started Motherkind. And, and she said, listen, I say all these things because her first book, which was a global bestseller, came out when her daughter was two. So mm. she did absolutely the absolute extreme. I think she didn't really see her daughter much was the impression that she gave me. And, and actually, when we stopped recording, I saw quite a different side to her, which was a much softer message yeah um and actually she said you know what's important she said I don't think you should stop working you're you know you're doing a service in the world and that's exactly Mm. what you're doing and and we're doing with psychologies she said but the most important thing is to be present when you're present and I really really took that to heart she said that one of the mistakes she'd made and I can't remember whether she said this in the interview or when we'd finished but she thought the most important thing was that her, she was physically there with her daughter. So she had an office at the end of her garden. But she said okay. that was one of the worst things that I could have done because 
her little girl could see her mum, but her mum was totally yeah. unavailable to her. And, and I really took that to heart. And I'm, you know, I'd really like to get your view on that. And how do you manage being, you do an incredible service in the work that you do with psychologies and your consultancy and the other things that you do. And how do you manage all of that with being an incredibly grounded, present parent, which I, you know, I know you are from <laughs> what I read and have oh, seen. I'm not always. Um, I really am not. I, the intention is always there and it's strong and quite fierce at times. You know, my intention is always to be a very present, a very open and honest and a very loving and sort of verbally, affirmatively loving and really show that to my children in a way where they never have to wonder. You know, it's so clear to them that I am loving. But I make so many mistakes all the time and there are lots of different little parts of my life and almost all of them take place at home. So my children are now both at school and I work from the moment that uh, my husband takes them out of the door on the school run. I guess up before them and I have my rituals and I'll touch on those later. But I have a window for work and it's taken a lot of trial and error, but I work in a very focused fashion. It can be quite regimented at times, but it means that I'm productive and I do what needs to be done within a very reasonable number of hours. So by the time the children are back home from primary school, I'm done for my day and I And that feels absolutely glorious and right. And again, it has taken focus and it's taken a lot of trial and error. But I have worked out that I can now work for those kind of six, seven hours while the children are at school in a very focused fashion. And then things just get turned off. So, you know, I'll shut down my laptop. I'll purposefully leave my phone on the desk upstairs and I will actually pull the door closed of the little kind of spare room stroke workroom that I base myself in. And I always aim to do some deep breathing or some meditation or a few kind of asanas and some yoga stretches before the children walk through the door Mm. so that I'm not in that panicked state of mind. I haven't just rushed down the stairs from having sent an email or having had a conference call or having, you know, had to sort of delegate tasks or write a report or finish a feature. There has to be a bridge that takes me from work to them because I work in the house where we all live. And I found that what's very useful is just giving myself sort of 15, 20 minutes before they arrive home to get myself back to a place of calm. And, you know, often when I'm working, I feel calm anyway. It's, you know, my work we have our challenges, we have our ups and downs, but my work is what I do by choice. It's what I've chosen to do very consciously and feel very privileged to do what I do. You know, I'm not uh, soul sapped, you know, I'm not sapped sort of feeling uh, beaten mm. down or um, Not like or before heavy. when you were writing about bikini diets. <laughs> no, precisely. And would then feel nauseated with myself actually and would be cross with myself because, you know, anyone who ever spoke to me knew precisely how I felt about diets and any of these prescriptive approaches to our beautiful, beautiful, wise bodies. Yet I was still bashing out, you know, this copy that had my name on it. And actually, I used to ask that my name was often just not credited or was put in the gutter or something. So people didn't necessarily know that I'd written it. Yeah, it's interesting to think back of me in my 20s doing that and then very much from the age of 30 onwards, not doing that at all, having become a mother, having consciously chosen the sort of things I would write about and and put my name to very proudly, there was a big difference. But yeah, there needs to be, I feel, and it has helped me, some acknowledgement of the work that is now completed for the day, put away put out of one's mind a way to clear the mind a way to sort of return to breath and just feel feel more grounded and then really truly be present and it's not possible every day sometimes things will creep in that will need my attention and take me off for another half an hour or something but it's becoming the norm I've been doing it for long enough now that it really 
it's clicked and it feels right and good for all of us and the girls know that when they come through the door and I often pick them up if I've managed to finish that bit earlier you know my husband and I will go together which we you know it's hilarious to sort of say to him you know you could actually just you know have a bit of time and you don't need to come with me and get them and it's just like love getting them you know oh, so we, yeah. we, we, we troop off together which is such a privilege to be able to you know to run our lives and work the way that we work so that we can collect our children which you know we, we never take that for granted but just so the children know that they're not bothering me that they're not a disturbance they're not an interference that they are my focus that they are my life I feel odd saying that sometimes because not everybody has children so does that statement disparage those who don't is there some sense that you know your life is not as full or as precious not at all what I mean when I say that they are is that they're the ever-present hum Mm. underneath every thought and every feeling every moment is, is just kind of underlined by me knowing that they are mine and that I feel that my purpose ultimately is just to is just to kind of allow them to grow into the people that they will become and really support them in doing that. And I try I try to be very present with them when they return from school and mm, that's beautiful. Really listen. I think I um, think well, well carry on. I was just gonna say, you know, about what you were talking about around saying that they're your life and your fear of saying that in a way that someone without children might. But I think if you've chosen to have children, then for me that comes with I think it's the biggest responsibility that there is. And for me, and, and not everyone is, you know, not everyone subscribes to this, I know, but for me, and it sounds like for you too, a massive part of that is that, you know, I am selfless and I give her the gift of my undivided attention. Mm-hmm. And that I do find that really hard. Like I can leave my phone upstairs like you're describing, but I sometimes feel my mind is whirring. Yeah, and I, I love and it that. Does. Yeah, of course it does. You know, my children are now, you know, at an age where they very happily run off and do things for a while. You know, they'll take themselves off to their bedroom and they'll play this incredibly imaginative game where where whole new worlds and dimensions, you know, appear. And they're very, very happy and content for, you know, a couple of hours. And we don't really, we're not with them when they're doing that. We love giving them that time and that space. But what I found is that... I have to be a little bit careful not to sort of think, oh, they're taken care of, you know, they're all good, they don't need me. And they don't, that's absolutely the truth. But for me not to then just take that time and then sort of squirrel myself away, back on my phone, looking at social media, you know, sending a few messages, doing things which actually feel like I'm sort of squandering the time. And I don't need to physically be with them. I think it's very healthy for them to be apart from me as much as they would like to be. But there are other things I could be doing which just come from a place of conscious choice rather than just getting caught up in that uh, natural cycle of just you're not doing things particularly mindfully you know you're sort of this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses big and small when we keep them bottled up it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash motherkind. What what sort of thing would you do? Because I, I, I want to get into Ayurveda because I know so many people are just fascinated by it, it's particularly at the moment. And I know you live that lifestyle. So would you do something during that time if you had a couple of hours in sort of early evening? Would you would you do an Ayurvedic ritual or what sort of thing might you be doing? I think it's interesting because, you know, we've been living Ayurvedically for probably about a decade now. Have you? And, okay. Um, wow. 
Yeah, I discovered it before I got pregnant with Mia and um, and really started to integrate it in my life and then followed it. Ayurvedic protocol and sort of you know lifestyle advice when I was pregnant with her all through my pregnancy and during the birth and all of those things. So it's been rooted in my life for a long time. And it's funny because it's not... It's not a fragmented thing. It's not, I do this now and then I do that then. It's just, Ayurveda essentially is really something which just plugs me into my own intuition and my own body Mm. and my own needs. And it helps me understand what I need from one moment to the next when things change sort of seasonally. So today, as we're recording this, it's cold and it's been windy and blustery and it's raining. And yesterday it was very bright and very sunny and warm. And we've had two seasons in two days. And ordinarily, you know, before Ayurveda, I would have just carried on as normal. It's spring. I'll eat the same sort of food. I won't think much about that. I'll get whatever's convenient. I'll wake up at the same time. I'll be rushing around. I'll get ready quickly. I'll shove a couple of spoonfuls of cereal into my mouth and run out of the door. And that sense of of just reacting all the time, Mm. just being on the back foot of stuff being thrown at you constantly and you're sort of fielding it as best you can but it's also sort of feel like you're shielding it in a way you know like you're holding up a shield just trying to get through the day just trying to protect yourself and oh you know I'm not sure I can cope with anything else and that feeling is all too common and it's one I can absolutely relate to it's how I lived for the best part of my sort of you know late teens and 20s through university and beyond since kind of paying more attention understanding what Ayurveda is which plugs me into why I feel the way that I do why my body is the way it is I'm conscious that some people will totally get what we're talking about and, and know it some people will have no idea what Ayurveda is so do you mind quickly just explaining what it is before we go into it thank you so it's the sort of indigenous healing and medical science of of india and it's a five thousand year old scientific system a very completely holistic system that looks at everything that's going on in your life around you environmentally emotionally socially and also obviously looks at the impact of those things upon your your mind and your spirit and your body it's the big picture approach. So it's not about ever looking at a symptom like a rash or a sore throat and thinking, oh, okay, I need you know, to take a tablet or I need to take this medicine. It's understanding that before any of those things are apparent or have manifested, there would have been you know, a huge number of things that happened before, which perhaps if you had been plugged into your body's own intuition, you had been listening, you had been aware of them. And this is what Ayurveda teaches you to do so beautifully and so naturally you would have understood the root cause long before it became a symptom or an illness so it's really beautiful it's really incredible and also hearteningly really very simple with the day such as today for instance understanding that it's damper and it's colder we've gone back to eating foods that we would have eaten in winter we know Paul's got a curry on the go downstairs the girls had a warm porridge with cinnamon and nutmeg this morning Paul made turmeric milk which we all had I'm wearing an extra layer I'm wearing some very warm wooden socks I'm just responding to the fact that there's been a change and I feel the change And if I perhaps had not responded to the change, I may have started to feel a little bit more run down or a little bit more tired, or I might have had those kind of beginning scratches of that early signs of a sore throat or something. Mm, Yeah. You know, my daughters, if they'd carried on eating ice cream or yogurt or having milk, dairy really heightens the dampness in our system. You know, perhaps they would have been caught out, they would have got one of those spring colds, which are so common at this time of year. But we decided consciously to pull back on the dairy on days such as this and well they can have a nut milk or something else and it's I know I'm focused on the food more than anything but it's not Mm, it's always isn't always about the food but it's a good way in it's a good example of how you can adjust and you know everything from nights that just feel that bit heavier you know perhaps they're darker it's a new moon you know you're affected by lunar cycles or it's just a seasonal shift it's just a point in the month in your own cycle as a woman as well where you just feel less energized you feel heavier you feel lackluster 
and always listening to that, understanding that a response is required of you. It's not, these things are not meant to go unheard. They're meant to be responded to. And the really, truly loveliest thing about Ayurveda is that you start to listen and your body feels heard and your body Ooh. responds so much more rapidly. And then this kind of trust grows between the two of you, between this mind, which is always breaking things down and, and trying to be, you know, obviously very logical, trying to answer things and rationalize all the time. But our spirit, you know, the hearts of ourselves, our essence is all feeling and it's intuition and it's inklings and nudges and, and sensations, which we can't really rationalize. So it's about kind of all of these pieces of ourselves coming back together and really, really feeling that they're connected and yeah. that they're supporting each other and starting to understand what it feels like to really feel whole. You know, I haven't left that part of me somewhere else. My mind isn't now in my inbox on my phone whilst my body is holding my child whilst my spirit is flailing and depleted and you know you're this one person stretched in all of these different directions you know Ayurveda has been so useful for us and it's been useful actually for me and my you know on this path of motherhood too because yeah I wanted to ask you about that how do you use it well there's a couple of things I want to ask you about the first one is how important is defining your type? You know, I've had some interactions with Ayurveda. My very special teacher lives that life, my yoga teacher. Okay. But oh. I sort of, I would say I'm very beginner in terms of understanding it. So where would someone access this? Is the best thing to go online and find out their type? Or should they go to an yeah. Ayurveda practitioner? Or where best to start? What if books access, would you recommend? Yeah, if you do have access to a trusted Ayurvedic practitioner, someone who's come from word of mouth, and there's an Ayurvedic Practitioners Association as well, the APA, obviously UK-based, and you can look for really highly regarded practitioners through that network. But having that introduction with a, with a qualified Ayurvedic doctor or practitioner would be the most beautiful way to begin the journey because it's just an incredibly – the depths of the things that you begin to learn about yourself are just – they're utterly transformative and it's beautiful to be guided in that. But it's also very enlightening to simply begin to work out for yourself why you are made the way that you are made and why you respond to things the way that you do and why you sleep and dream and and argue or not or, you know, sweat or all of these things, all of these processes which make you the whole person that you are, you know, what they're affected by. And that's there are lots of really good tests actually that you can take online. There's a really good one on Jasmine Hemsley's website and I write a blog called The Balance Plan and there's a big kind of discover your dosha section on that website which I'm proud of. It's, it's a good test and it guides you afterwards with regards your results and what it says about you. So your, your dosha, sorry to interject, your, I just for people who don't know what I mean, your dosha is the, the your, your Ayurvedic your type. type. Okay. It's like your natural constitution. It's from the moment of your conception, actually, is the belief in Ayurveda. The moment of, the, of your very conception was the moment when all of these elements came together and came to define the person that you would come to be. Um, and so a very kind of clear picture is painted of your your natural makeup, your constitution and your proclivities. And it's really fascinating, really mm. fascinating. Once you have some sense of, of how you were built and made and why you are the way that you are, you've taken that first step towards tapping back into your own intuition, your own sense of self. And it's helped me enormously. My natural type is call it Pitta um, in Ayurveda. And it's overridingly Pitta, which is the fire element. So this was probably the presiding energy of most of my youth and teen um, <laughs> and, and early 20s, which was fire, which was incredibly driven, ambitious, competitive, argumentative, explosive at times, hot-headed, hot-blooded, and really, really fascinating to work all of that out and understand that that energy needs to be balanced. Mm. It needs to be balanced. And so cool. what, what are the girls? Are the girls pitter too? <laughs> Children are naturally born very kapha uh, because they're grounded and it's the earth element. So they come from, the, you know, obviously they're born and they're attached to kind of the mother. It's the flesh 
And they're just naturally kind of rooted in their bodies and in their sense of being, really. And then, you know, it can take a little while for that to change and that to be be seen in them. And I, I can definitely see the beginnings of both Vata and, and Pitta elements in me are our eldest, whereas I think Celie is still, she's still in that Kapha period where she's, yeah, she's, bless her, she's definitely of the earth and uh, and grounded and, and relatively calm and easygoing. And it's an interesting thing to start to see in your children. I think actually the thing as well with the balance plan, which is, you know, the blog um, I've been writing for several years, it's not about this idea of achieving this kind of idealistic balance in life. It's very much about understanding the elements that make you you and mm. how you can, through Ayurveda, balance them so that you become a calmer and a more even, measured and content, I suppose, version of, of your natural self. So um, the balance plan, I suppose, to some people seem like this is the kind of, this is the mythical secret to a perfectly balanced life. But it's much more about how our intuition can take us back to what our body needs, really guide us back to how we thrive, how we can heal ourselves, how we can support ourselves just by listening, just by paying more attention, being present in the moment and consciously responding you know to what we need rather than just pushing it away mm. and uh, doing it another time just really learning that we need to listen more and how do you think you know following this philosophy of being really connected to yourself is what I hear how do you think that's informed how you are as a mother and have you had big sort of challenges or awakening through your motherhood journey and what have those meant and looked like I don't think anything has challenged me more than motherhood. Um, I, <laughs> I'm glad you said that. <laughs> oh no, it's, on every level, I think it's been it's been absolutely the most challenging thing um, I've ever experienced or lived through, and particularly with my eldest. And I think that's for lots of different reasons. I've read The Conscious Parent and The Awakened Family by Shafali Sabari, and this idea that your children choose you and they choose you because the act of you parenting them, the act of motherhood, that process is essentially an act of you know, getting you to the point of the highest enlightenment and a point of really, there's no path of self-improvement that's more challenging and more engulfing than parenthood, actually. And I know why I am me as mother and I know why she is so strong-willed and hot-headed and fierce in some ways you know she's a strong strong person and she really holds me accountable you know she really she will question me in exactly the way that I need to be questioned because I don't know everything I'm not God and I don't hold myself up as someone with all the answers and actually you know I think I grew up with actually my parents are wonderful and I adore them but you still grow up as part of a generation that's just told to be quiet and told yeah. to stop asking questions yeah, and because I said so, because I said so. And it's really fascinating because, you you know, as a mother and as a father, I, and, I, and I do say that consciously because there really is no separation with my husband and I and our children, but um, you want to raise people who question. You want to raise people who, who don't just take what they're given, who fight for the right things, who want justice and have a strong sense of morality and belief system. You know, you want all of these things for your children, but yet, you know, sometimes you can just turn around because it's just terribly inconvenient, you know, just tell <laughs> yeah, them, exactly. be quiet, embarrassing me, <laughs> stop asking questions, leave me alone, I'm exhausted. And you just think, good Lord, like if ever there were mixed messaging, you know, mm. on the one hand you're saying, go out into the world, be bold, be fearless, be you, you know, blaze this trail for, for everyone. And we have, you know, we have two very strong women, you know, who we are raising at this point who are, bless their hearts, they are really confident little girls and I, I really wouldn't want it any other way. But my God, you know, they, they really... If I let myself slip, if I give a shoddy answer, if I secretly scribble myself you know, away on the stairs with my phone or something, you know, <laughs> mummy, you know, that's it. I'm caught. And I have to just say, do you know what? I'm so sorry. You know, I shouldn't have done that. That was a silly thing to say. Or you're right. I did promise you would go and do that. Or I did say it. But do you know what? 
we can't, I'm sorry, things don't always go to plan. And just essentially just trying to be honest about it all the time. Mm. You know, I've made promises to my children that I haven't always been able to keep. I've had to cancel things. We've planned to do something that hasn't come off. And they've been really, really upset and really disappointed. But you can't shield your children from disappointment. You know, if you try to, how on earth are they going to manage when it finally enters their lives? Exactly, yeah. It's almost our responsibility to teach them how to deal with the you know the challenges of life that's how I see it and I'm really happy that you mentioned Shafali Tisbury's books because whenever I'm asked for a parenting book I always recommend those two Awakened Family and The Conscious Parent. I sat down with her book so I watched her TEDx talk and I sat down with The Conscious Parent the book and I inhaled it. Yeah same. Do you know what when I was pregnant that was actually the first book that I read when I found out I was pregnant which is yeah I mean. came to it late unfortunately Mia was seven before I read it and I thought god damn it if only (laughs) if only I'd read it sooner but uh, yeah I was just nodded along to every page every statement and some incredibly simple sounding things seems utterly revelatory to me like what like really really knowing and accepting that your children are not a product of you Mm. and actually and really really being quite strong with yourself there because they're not there as exemplars of you, of your parenting, of your example. They shouldn't be. They really need to be their own people. There's that thing sometimes of people say to you, oh my goodness, your girls are adorable. Look at them. They're just gorgeous. Well, you know, what great examples they are of you. Sort of that idea. And it's very sweet when people say it and do it. Of course, it comes from a lovely place. But I think as parents, we have to be courageous enough to step back and just let them make mistakes. Let them do silly things. You know, they're going to be rude at times. They're going, and obviously you're modelling positive behaviour. And I really do. You know, we're a very values-driven family, and my husband in particular. You know, he's he's so driven by his ideology and his beliefs in the right thing and the right way to live. And he's got a, you know such a kind of moral conscience. But we mustn't feel embarrassed by our children. We mustn't think they're letting us down or they're sort of reflecting something that we don't want to be seen or that we Mm. feel ashamed by. They're reflecting parts of themselves and they should be free to do it. And culturally, I suppose, being Turkish, coming from two Turkish Cypriot parents, there was that sense of of how you behave in company, you know, and, and how culturally as a little girl, you know, that you would help in the kitchen and that you would sit nicely and you wouldn't really speak unless you were spoken to. And I never did any of that. So... Yeah, just a reminder that really our only role as a parent is just to be this kind of really clear and open mirror for them so they can look at us and see themselves reflected back in a very honest and loving way, not in a way that's coloured by judgment or condition. That was the definitely the presiding message that I took away with me that mm. I felt very moved by and which I really try to remind myself of. Mm, I love it as well. I'm actually, she's doing a year-long training that I'm doing with her at the moment. Oh, how incredible. Um, yeah, she's, do you know, I, I love her. She's almost like Marianne Williamson in a lot of ways because she is incredibly mm. affronting. And, you know, I have recommended the book to a few people who, they've been quite open and honest and said it's too much because she also says that, really any time we're triggered so you know that feeling of wanting to control or punish mm-hmm. or you know that that's something unhealed in us so I think I was sort of open and like you I inhaled it because that's my belief is that anything that triggers me is about me not the other person but mm-hmm. I think bringing that into parenting it goes so against the grain of what we're often <laughs> taught about what parenting is which is you know, naughty steps and and controlling behaviour as opposed to actually looking where it might be coming from or what is it in us that can't bear a tantrum. And that's what I've been through recently. You know, I found myself really struggling. Jessie's too, so okay, loads yeah. of tantrums. I had to, yeah, I know, bless her, but I just had to do some work on what is it that I found it almost unbearable to watch her having a tantrum. I found it hard to just stand back, let her go through it and then support her afterwards. And, you know, I realised it was just that deep uncomfort, which was my stuff of seeing Mm. someone else in 
distress. Um, of course, and that's so natural. Yeah, um, and, and very I, natural. I yeah. really like, I thought her book was measured as well, actually, because I liked that she did say, she gave examples of, of behaviour that were just clearly unacceptable. You know, of course, yeah, exactly. You know, you're yeah, let your child run off, pick up a hammer, and then like hit someone's toe with it or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just stand there and go, oh, well, what does this teach me about myself? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not. You know, I'm, I'm, a very, I'm a very realistic person, and I'm pragmatic and practical as in as much as I, I'm also really quite spiritual, and I think all of those elements are in all of us. And I do tell my children off, but I gone from the kind of the very reactive, not necessarily uh, thinking through what I'm going to say first and the kind of really losing the temper, which I do quite rarely now. And I would have done a lot more when Mia was younger. So again, it's, it has been a, a very big arc for me and lots of learning of really knowing now that um, that there are just ways, certain things that my children won't respond well to and understanding that. You know, Mia will be explosive. If I'm adding fire to that fire, we get nowhere. We just burn yeah. the house down. Yeah. yeah, You know, if I can actually stay calm and really just kind of give her that safe space so that she knows that she can really explode and no one's going to judge her. We know if we're at home, it's totally fine. And she'll just calm down so much faster because she knows that it's out of her system now let's talk about it. You know, it's just different. Mm. It's a different way of looking at it. Is. It is. And you're also teaching her that her feelings are fine, whatever those feelings are. Yeah, um, completely. Which is interesting. I'm going to ask you the same question I ask everyone as our sort of closing together, which is if you could gift all the mums in the world one thing, what would it be and why? I think it would really be the ability to just be present and just know what that feels like, know how to make it happen, and to just find yourself as often as you possibly can, completely immersed in those moments with your children where nothing else is happening, nothing else matters. You're just there with them and you're absorbing that with every cell because I really think, you know, there's just nothing sadder than looking back and thinking, oh my God, where did that go? She's grown, she's gone. Like, what did we do together? What did we have together? Having worked very early on with Mia and having felt as though I lost those moments, I think it's been a very conscious moving back and a kind of creating of that time now and really, really knowing, again, from the mistakes that I've made, that it's about the most precious thing that you can experience with your children. So that was... That's beautiful. (laughs) That is a beautiful, beautiful gift. Well, listen, thank you so, so much for your time and your wisdom and your honesty. I've made hundreds of notes. Um, (laughs) Things that I want to remember, (laughs) especially the idea of you know, taking that moment to transition. I'm, I'm going to start implementing that in my life. So thank you for that and everything else that you oh, said. Thank, um, you. thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank okay. you. Thanks. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about then just tag them in on instagram my bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there people often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends so if that's you then please do i feel like the guests that we have on the podcast their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide so help me make that happen I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also, just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme, which is a three-month programme called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.